You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Heavenly Father, thank you for bringing us together on this Sabbath day. Please bless and keep the Advent, her members, her clergy, and her staff. May my words be your words, pleasing and acceptable in your sight. Amen. All right, well, I am Carolyn Lankford. Um, I am married to Frank. We have three children. The oldest is my stepson. He is 33. Then we have a son, Fred, who's 27. And we have a daughter, Rebecca, who's 24. Um, I actually got to the Advent 31 years ago when Larry Gibson hired me to be the director of Christian education. And just to give you some context of how much the Advent has changed, when I took the job, my responsibilities were nursery through adult education. And then shortly thereafter, they someone left um, unexpectedly, and they handed the EYC to me also. So that's the kind of place it was back then. It was just a lot smaller and not nearly as much invested in the programs as it is now. So it's wonderful to be able to give you that perspective. Um, Okay, this is the third time Cameron Cole has asked me to teach a class in his Faith and Family series, and so it's exactly the third time I have regretted agreeing to do so (laughs) when the day arrives. It is so humbling to stand before your peers, as I just said. Um, If any of y'all have been to the previous classes in this particular little series, um, you have heard some excellent teaching. If you, let's see if we can get this right. Cameron kicked us off, and he talked about um, gospel rest for our children. And I remember him really emphasizing that we, from, a, from the get-go, train our children to be able to name with confidence what they're sure the Lord has done for them. You remember that story he told about a friend of his that when her girls would come home, if they'd had a bad day, she'd tell them to go get in the bathtub and name everything they know that's good about God. So, you know, just sort of that grounding context. And then we had um, this teacher named Rebecca Lankford, um, some distant relative of mine, and she taught about um, gospel rest as trust. It's having a trust and a confidence that gets us through the storms of life. And then last week we had Tucker Fleming, and he gave a really good um, biblical perspective of the Sabbath and the fact that the Sabbath was a part of the creation. It was engineered by God into it, and it's very interesting because God created a Sabbath, and God is not somebody who needs rest. So, hmm, we have to think about that. So, um, the new, and, okay, let me, let me get myself together here. So, Cameron, Tucker, and yes, even Rebecca have carefully and systematically offered a biblical context for why our most peaceful experiences as God's people were and are when we are at rest, at peace, in perfect trust, and the knowledge and the assurance that God loves us because Jesus saved us and we are his now and for all eternity. And the new kingdom established by Christ at his second coming 
will count us as citizens, all of us. And there will be a reality so awesome, no one needs to be a parent and no one needs to have a parent. We will all share the one perfect parent who created us and dwells among us. That's something to think about. It kind of puts a little bit of context into our role as a parent. It's really temporary in, in, in terms of eternity. There will be the day in eternity when our children are our brothers and sisters in Christ. So maybe we can relax a little bit when we think about it that way. So what are we talking about when we talk about gospel resting parents? I usually start with the negative. So I'm, I'm going to offer some things that I don't think they necessarily are. Parents who rest in the good news of Jesus Christ are not necessarily people who always get enough sleep, enough exercise, enough couple time, and enough of the good fats and proteins. I mean, Lord knows all these things are really good, but let's be real. When your three children, one at a time, get the throw-up bug that lasts two days, you, as their parent, are out five days of anything but reacting to the misery and the mess, right? Um, And you might even have to go to work during all of that. And so it's a time of no sleep, no exercise, no quiet morning time, bad couple time because your spouse is not doing his or her share, (laughs) and life is not peaceful and there is no rest. And of course, the clincher, then you get the stomach bug, and then your spouse gets the stomach bug, and you know daily routines and, and tranquility are just out the window. And, you know, it's at that point where if it were me, I'd be saying, "Give me a room alone in the Hampton Inn with a bottle of wine, a, bo- a bowl of popcorn, and endless office streamings." Just that's all. That that's would be my nirvana. So gospel-resting parents are not folks who live under the law that says, get it all done, so then you will be rewarded with some rest. You see what I'm saying there? It's not just about we, we work because then we get to rest. Um, we do it. We do this, this notion of resting in Christ. We do it. It's who we are. It's like a great Christian counselor friend of mine says, you know, what's going on in your head and heart? Yes, it's about what we do, but it's also about our orientation. Do we set forth our day resting in God and therefore go about our work? It's sort of a, yes, it's a continual state of mind as best we can muster it. Um, The classes that preceded this one gave great insight and application into the ways we acquire that rest, the living minute by minute into our unshakable relationship with God through Christ. And here are all very, very good things for us to do. Regular time in the Word, in the Bible, both on our own and in fellowship with other believers. It's why small groups are just the backbone of this parish Um, prayer time regular prayer time unplugged time my gosh you know google that and you'll find all kinds of articles that talk about the importance of unplugged time 
Um, church and worship time. Regular church and worship time. These are all very good things that help ground us in, in a resting place with Christ. Unstructured family time. Um, uh, to me, there's nothing more delightful. It's hard, too, isn't it? But once you find yourself in a situation where you are just enjoying each other with no agenda, no time clock, it's truly a gift. Um, and all these things are good and life-giving. They are the ingredients to a life lived confidently in the Lord and His favor towards us. They are, in fact, the antidote to fear and anxiety about all the things we cannot control. And let's face it, there's a lot to be anxious and fearful about. Romans chapter 8, verses 5 and 6, and it's in, it's on your handout. Um, and a shout out to my friend Anna Harris, who sent me to this verse. I, I was talking to her about this uh, class. And Romans 8, 5 says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. And now I'm going to impress you with what that means by reading to you what my ESV study Bible says, which is very, very, very helpful. Um, and I trust it. Okay. The note says, to set the mind on the flesh, what that means is when we think continually about and constantly desire the things characteristic of fallen, sinful human nature. That is, to think just the way the unbelieving world thinks, emphasizing what it thinks important, pursuing what it pursues in disregard of God's will. So did y'all get that? Being in the flesh means that we desire the things characteristic of fallen, sinful human nature and that we think just the way the unbelieving world thinks, emphasizing what it thinks and pursuing what it pursues. Okay, so what drives us as parents in this unbelieving world and what does it emphasize? Well, how about... Our children need to succeed. And the inverse of that, our children can't fail. Our children need to be perfect. We parents need to have it all together. We've got this because we're perfect people having perfect children. And probably the one that I struggled with the most, still do, is our job is to prevent our children from suffering. And it's so much easier, I think, in the age that we live in to, to take on this sort of myth that we can spare our children from suffering because there's so many more things at, disposable to us, at our disposal, I mean. You know, helmets and antibiotics and, I mean, it just goes on and on and on. And so we build up this false sense of we can keep our children from not suffering. Well, if for no other reason we parents, it's up to us, 
need to establish a life lived trusting in what has already been done for us because the rest of the world does not let our children live in that reality, right? They are always being measured and evaluated. We live in a performance-driven world, and it seems to get worse with each generation, but then I remember the Pharisees, and no, it's just the same old, same old. We just keep doing it. Um, you know, probably even better than I do, that our ungrown kids are constantly under a microscope. Social media is one huge such microscope. I know Rebecca talked about that. Cameron always talks about it. But you know, also school is a microscope. Standardized testing, peers, oh my gosh. Junior high girls, please. Coaches, directors, college applications. And then the worst of all, the nagging voices in our children's heads that keep telling them they're just not quite good enough. They're not quite pretty enough. They're not quite thin enough. They're not quite smart enough. They're not quite athletic enough. I mean, anxiety in children is real. And it is the devil's favorite tool. And so we, we, the grown-ups, right, the people with the maturity and all that, we live in a world that insists upon measuring our performance, especially as parents, but in all manner of ways, our careers, our wealth, our housekeeping, our social standing, the entries in our calendars, our health, our weight, our intellect. It goes on and on and on for us. And if you are a parent, your children can be a primary way the world measures you. Um, I'll give you an example of how much I bought into that. I could give you a thousand. But one that came to mind was when our son Fred graduated from Rhodes. Caroline and I just figured that out. Um, we get to the service ceremony. He was in a, he's in a house with a bunch of other guys. So we meet him at the ceremony. And I noticed that he doesn't have any cords. You know what I'm talking about? Those tassel cords that colorful that you hang around. And they, you know, they indicate all the wonderful achievements you have acquired during your four years in college, academic and extracurricular. Well, he didn't have one. And I'm like, this is so embarrassing. I mean, I know he was in the choir. At least he could, you know, what, what is this with no cords? And so, of course, after the ceremony, after congratulating him, I said, why don't you have any cords? <laughs> and he looked, and he said, oh, um, I, I have a few, Mom, I, I just forgot them. <sighs> okay, well, shut my mouth. I mean, I'd love to say that I had instilled that in him, but that was just the way Fred is wired. But it's, it's such a beautiful balance of, yeah, I got the cords, but I didn't feel the need to wear them because that's not who I am. There's nothing wrong with the cords. It's how we perceive them. And then several years later, I come along and do it all over again because his sibling had so many cords around her neck, she could barely stand up straight. And I counted everyone and wanted to know about everyone and just thought that was fabulous. Click, 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 click. So, oh dear, that's just the way it rolls. Corinthians 7:17 7, says, 
Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. Likewise, in Psalm 16, verse 11, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So I want to emphasize that God has assigned to each of us and to each of our children a particular life. It's already been done, that assignment. God, in his supreme graciousness, makes known to us the path of life. God's going to make it known to us. He is making it known to us. This is such good news. We don't need to create our own destiny We don't have to live a life of our own making. In fact, we can't and we don't. And what freedom there is in that. We are not just making it up, making it up, just out there bouncing around willy nilly. So God is in charge. We're clear on that. And that means God is in charge when our children are suffering. Some of my worst experiences have been and I'm sure continue to be until I die, when I know that one of our children is hurt, sad, down, um, rejected, mocked, turned away, not picked. That does not even include the physical suffering of our kids. And Cameron, I keep referring to him, but you know he does a good job of, of saying, When our children are suffering, and we know that in our gut, but it's important to remember, for whatever it is that they're struggling with, that is a huge thing to them. We may look at it and say, well, so you didn't get asked to the prom. You know, in a few years, you won't even remember. Well, in that moment, it's the worst thing that's ever happened to your child. So I think about a long struggle that our oldest one had because he loved baseball. He loved baseball like most people love air. Um, He just was the first on the field. He took all kinds of lessons. He just loved it, loved it, loved it. And year after year after year, he wouldn't get picked for, what do you call it? You know, the all-stars. He never would get picked. And nobody tried harder. Nobody loved it more. He was a good sport. He was respectful. He just wasn't good enough. And he didn't ever get to play All-Stars. And it was so hard to watch him get revved up when the, you know, the next spring would roll around. And this time it was going to be the one. And it was never the one. And that was hard. That was hard. So what do we do with that? What do we do with that kind of suffering? I, I know that... What we can do, probably the only thing that is really helpful, is we love our children well when they are in a place of resting in the truth of the gospel. And that truth is, Jesus' work was finished on the cross. Remember he said, it is finished. So we are his, and we are most particularly his when we are hurting Our Savior is a Savior of the cross. He 
has suffered more than any other human being ever. And he is with us and he is with our children. It is our privilege to introduce our kids to the one who suffered most for us. And that, yes, this side of God's promise means we will suffer too. Another thing that I think is helpful is to, um, as appropriate, share your sufferings with your children. Let them see how you live with your hurts and your burdens and your disappointments and your failures. Um, I think children, you know, that's the primary way they learn. And the older they get, I think the more you can bring them in and let them see how you deal with it, which is not dealing with it, but living with it, living into it. You know, I think the instinct of our our flesh as parents is to prevent, it's to minimize, it's to compensate for our children's suffering. Um, I contend that the way of the spirit, not of the flesh, is for parents to share in their suffering regretting so much with our children that the world is a measuring, judging, mostly hostile place and that we will endure it together. And I just, um, one other thing to say about all this, it's really, really helpful as a parent. When you start each day, I start each day remembering that God loves my children more than I do. And that's not saying anything bad about my love for my children because it ain't any stronger, but God's is so much more. He knows every, He knows the number of hairs on their heads. I used to think that was just a really sweet little metaphor. Ah, it's God loves us as, but no, God truly knows the number of hairs on everybody's head. He created us. He is, he is our true parent. And he has got our children, even when it doesn't look like it or feel like it. Isaiah 30:15 says, For thus said the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, In returning and rest you shall be saved. In quietness and in trust shall be your strength. Um, the Isaiah goes on to say, But you were unwilling meaning the people were unwilling to return and rest and be saved in the quietness and trust. But we are a people who are stiff-necked and unwilling in our flesh, but we have the gospel, which is even more powerful than our flesh. Uh, I encourage all of us to be resting in what is real and not what is of this world. And finally, let's do it together. This is um, easy for me to say now that I'm sort of, I mean, my children are grown. But I, want, I, I think the Advent could really be a witness in our communities to what it means to parent from a place of rest and not a place of anxiety and stress. I'm not even totally sure what that would look like, but I think it could really be a wonderful witness. Um, an example that comes to mind, and I, I, I didn't do it intentionally. I just had no choice. Frank and I were at a, a cocktail party. This was a year or so ago. And 
I bumped into this woman who had children the same ages as two of ours, and they had gone to the same preschool. I mean, they'd grown up together, and I hadn't seen her in a while. And so she's like, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh, tell me all about Fred. Is it law school or med school? And I said, um, it's Uber driver, and he plays in a band. And the look on her face was, I mean, I think she, you know, she was feeling a little sorry for me. And I was so grateful that that's all I had. I was so grateful that I told her the truth. I didn't, I didn't clean it up. So, well, you know, he's a musician in Nashville, doing quite well. He is a musician in Nashville, and he's an Uber driver, and he's in a band. That's the truth. Um, and I think if we could just be more like our real selves, even in the face of folks who think law school or med school, you know, um, I, I, I just I, I encourage the Advent to think how we conduct ourselves on the ball fields in the school auditoriums, um, in the playgroups, you know, in every way that we can, we can demonstrate that it is finished. It is all done, and we are resting in that. Amen. Um, oh, I finished nice and early, um, which is good. Yes. I have a question. Er, you mentioned that part where you said, I think it was a verse, you said, only let each person lead the life that is assigned to them. Was that from a specific verse? Yes, that was the that was either First Corinthians. Yes, it was First um, Corinthians seven seventeen. Okay, thank you. My and I I picked it just to to really emphasize um, the Lord has assigned us lives. We're not making it up as we go, even though we like to think that we are. Anything else? Okay, well, I can turn this baby off. So, as far as, like, um, I guess, you know, like, not wanting to put pressure or, like, how do you have, like, more or less standards or, like, Mm. rules for your kids Mm. without it being, like, you need to measure up to this? Right, right. I mean, that's kind of a... Well, right, but I, I think you started to answer the question by you made the distinction. Well, your children are smart enough for you, for them to understand the distinction. Yeah. You know, that, yes, mommy has rules that she follows, and we all have rules. I mean, we're, we're a family. Yeah. we got to have some boundaries. Um, but I don't need you to be perfect. Yeah. I love you as you are, and you're my beautiful, wonderful daughter. Or sign. Um, so talk it out with them. Yeah, because I was like, I even thinking of like a conversation yesterday of like, you know, the siblings fighting and then like, no, you need to do this or you need to make sure you're, you know, like, uh-huh. have, like behavioral type things. And then in hindsight, I'm like, there needs to be like, I need to come back to the truth of the gospel, the truth uh-huh. of grace, the truth of our need and how I, you know, like, but I'm like, I just, sometimes it's hard to be like, I think with those, like, I mean, they're younger, so it's right. different than as they get older. But right. But I mean, just of those kind of disciplinary, like, no, you're not, not necessarily just, like, breaking rules or being disobedient, but even just, like, actions of, like, you know, respect or kindness. Right. Or, I don't know. I just feel like I was, like, I, there's that balance of, like, there's a way that God has called us to live and, or that, you know, we require, but there's also, like, you're not going to be perfect in that. 
Right. I think even with Mary Matthews, I can be like, because she is pretty compliant and obedient, I can be like, no, you need to get self-control. You need, I'm like, but I mean, she's not going to get so, I mean, like, you can't always be like, right. I mean, it's, right. it's not about her getting her self-control. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, it is on a level, but there's like a willingness to like trust the spirit. Yeah. 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 Yeah, well, and certainly, that's the other amazing thing about parenting. You think you've kind of figured it out with one child, and then you have another one that's completely different, and you've got to throw the first manual away and start writing the second one. And again, the only thing I can offer is that as much as you can, share your interior dialogue with your children. Like I would do, especially with um, our daughter, because she was kind of the compliant. She hated it when she was bad. I mean, in the moment, she was enjoying it very much. But as soon as it passed, she was like, oh, I'm so, you know, so that was, she was, believe it or not, a real challenge to discipline because she was so quick to condemn herself. Mm -hmm. So I learned that sometimes I would actually talk out with her what her punishment is going to be because we both were in agreement that she had been bad and that she needed, you know, that there was some kind of consequence, maybe, um, so what might that look like? And I'm not saying that would work with every kind of a child, but that just sort of helped the healing process to be verbal about it. Anything else? Well, let us go to love and serve the Lord. Thanks be to God. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you will join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.